hey tim why are we not munching on some hanover and some uh kettle kettle chips right now i'm i'm really hungry all of a sudden every day i go to the i go to the the mailbox and i'm expecting the care package from steven and i get this is what get, we do steven sorry i get i get this i get this and then i'll get a call from my friends at uh the pack 12 and they go oh please thanks steven for the, the wonderful <laughs> care package he sent out and i'm like oh i hope it's good yeah so uh, but we have, tim we'll have to check your address maybe maybe i sent it to the pack 12 right yeah now. maybe maybe my wife's getting and, it in the, in the space of partnership marketing, and if I do so say myself to put my brands out there, I mean, is, is this an opportunity amongst the three of us? Is, do you guys have an official snack partner of, wait, what? Presented by? <laughs> you know, we're Listen, recording. Yeah, we've been, um, you know, we've been approached. We've been approached. <laughs> um, haven't seen anything yet, quite honestly. And, and, and we're waiting also for the right brand, you know, alliance. It's got to be a brand fit. It's got to be a brand fit and the money's got to be right. I'm feeling pretty good about this one right now. But <laughs> true, true. I think the money can be right and the brand fit can be right. It's really going to come down to question of values. <laughs> Value or values? Because we have neither. <laughs> right. Welcome to Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee, the podcast where we take an oftentimes irreverent, sometimes cynical, and even a sometimes serious look at the business of sports. I'm your co-host, Tim McGee. And I'm David Paro. David, what's on your mind today? Well, as we never do, there's we don't have a shortage of things to talk about today, uh, do we? I do want to give a quick shout out to the Roger Federer and his retirement. We spent a lot of time during US Open talking about Serena as the GOAT saying farewell at the US Open. And Federer didn't get his Grand Slam to say goodbye at, but he did have what I actually think might have been an even cooler way to go out. And that was surrounded by other great players having a chance to end his career side by side with, uh, with uh, Rafa Nadal. Uh, in a Labor Cup match with other great players, um, both from the um, from the uh, international side and from the Euro side, playing in this competition known as the Labor Cup, and included in that group of players was uh, was Novak Djokovic. So you had the three people in the discussion of goats there on site playing at a tournament named after the other guy, Rod Laver, who is in consideration of GOAT status. And it really was ended up being an amazing moment. They And they lost to two Americans, uh, Francis Tiafo and Jack Sock, in a doubles match. But the touching farewell at the end of it was just something that just, you know, <laughs> makes, makes me feel kind of lucky that we're in this business because it just was one of those great moments. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, right there between them, you've got, what, 63 Grand Slam titles between Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer. Wait, what? Did you just do that math? That was impressive. Yeah, twenty. well, 22, 21, and 20, right? <laughs> if you want to know my methodology, I took 20 right. times 3 and then 2 plus 1. And then add labor in? I don't know how many. Okay. I, well, no, those three are the, are the most. So, yeah, yeah. Federer at, at, with, at 41 years of age with, with 20 Grand Slams and, and not having that last chance to compete in one, which was the one part of the one thing that was a bummer. But, you know, as, uh, as my father, John Paro, said after that 
U.S. Open final. Maybe uh, Federer, you know, kind of saw the writing on the wall, but he was battling some knee injuries and he put up a good fight in that doubles match. And just seeing him alongside Rafa, you know, and just the emotion poured out by all these other players really, really, really was cool. Yeah, yeah, to see guys who competed so ferociously against one another to 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 be like that is great. And you know, listen, Serena has alluded in a couple of interviews. I think in the most recent one I heard about, she alluded to uh, you know, saying, "Well, Tom Brady got it right," or Tom Brady wasn't retired very long. So, uh, you know, she, her her competitive juices may not have been squeezed out of her yet. I think she may she may make a comeback now. Whether or not she uh, you know, can compete at the level she did before. Um, maybe she just needs to get healthy. I, I don't know. Yeah, you may be right. I think the thing that, and and the reason we cover this, in addition to the fact that these people have just impacted uh, the sports world and particularly their sport of tennis for such a long time, is that they're going to be forces in the business space. I think Serena already is. Federer already is. He has his he has his own brand. You know, he had had that apparel kind of fight with Nike in the past and and uh, now he's on to his uh, his own things and so these guys are going to be forces in in uh, in the business world I think not just in tennis uh, but but even broader and and they're two great examples of what the modern day athlete that achieves that level of success I think can do yeah Serena Williams in particular is is going to have tremendous post-playing success as a businesswoman mm-hmm. I have no I have no doubt about that whatsoever. So the NFL Pro Bowl will no longer be what we have known it for years, but with each passing year, it has become a little more ridiculous anyways in terms of the actual game. And uh, they've announced that uh, it is moving to a non-tackle version of the Pro Bowl. So they're keeping the concept around, but it's going to be um, another, it's going to be a way to actually promote their their commitment to flag football. And, you know, while people dump all over the Pro Bowl every year, right? Uh, every time it comes up, but, but you know what? People watch it. Uh, it actually does a, a number that a lot of sports would be uh, envious of. Last year, drawing an average of 6.7 million viewers. So I'm I'm intrigued by this direction. I think that they could have done bolder things over time, but they finally made the move to um, make this switch, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see see where it goes. Yeah, the only major league all-star game that's played after the regular season uh one in which you know people can get hurt right because you have to tackle somebody right if you can't let you know so this whole idea of flag football is is interesting as you said and and uh and probably the least surprising bit of news peyton manning uh is going to be involved (laughs) right (laughs) is there anything that guy's not involved with right now no I saw a good thing last night or today about the Manning cast, which I enjoyed a little bit last night during. The I Cowboys. didn't particularly care for it. I thought they were talking over each other. They're not. They're not the seasoned professionals that you and I are when it comes to respecting one another on a microphone. <laughs> right. You and I just talk over each other. We never do it to a guest. Um, Correct. I, I think that is the problem with this. And when I say I enjoyed it, meaning I turned to it for a little bit last night. So. 
Um, I said it like a server might say, are you still enjoying your steak, Mr. McGate? Um, <laughs> uh, instead of saying, are you still working on your, you know, right. having worked in the food service business? You know, I know these things. Anyway, yeah, no, I think that's a problem. And they've got to figure out a way to get that straightened out because you just missed too much of the game. It didn't have that same flow, even though I think the analysis uh, tends to be great and it's a fun idea. So hopefully they'll get some of that stuff worked out. Listen, you, you get, they get points just for um, Peyton wearing the chad powers yeah. t-shirt at the beginning yeah they, they <laughs> no these guys are these guys have just become unbelievable machines right eli's personalities really you know he's taken advantage of everything that people used to tease him about with his personality uh and and they just listen these guys have a, a certain degree of uh charm uh and honestly talent when it comes to this uh um, on the other side of the camera stuff. And they just also happen to be really great, talented uh, quarterbacks playing at a very high level for a long time in their career. So count me, count me yeah. in the Caesars camp. I, Cooper's my favorite. Manning. Yeah. Cooper, Cooper's got a good gig, man. Right. I they mean, say he was the best player of the three until he got injured. They always say now, that. They always yeah, say of course. Impressive. That's yeah. They're throwing the they're throwing the brother who didn't play the NFL a bone, right? But you know the the, the six Sutter brothers that played in the NHL always say that uh, their brother Gary that didn't play in the NHL was their best. And I'm not saying that's not true, but that's what that's what they say. Well, I'm always you know to paraphrase uh, Mike Ditka, right? You, you you're as good as your record, right? So you didn't make the NHL, Gary. There's a reason for that. Now, maybe it was an injury. I don't know. Yeah. Well, they, you know, somebody had to stay and and work the farm that the Sutter's own. Those those guys are just amazing and, and hard workers. We'll talk yeah. about the Sutter's at at some point on the we show. We could do a whole we could do we a whole could episode do, on we, those guys. We could. Other um, than Stanley Cups with the Islanders, Dwayne and Brent. Yeah, I've gotten to be uh, uh, friends with Rich and uh, just a great guy and a and a very amazing family. Going back to the Pro Bowl for a second, you know, we were actually in talks. I think I can say this. Can I say this? It's been sure. a while. We actually talked to them about doing the Your Call football concept uh, where fans, not necessarily every play, but could call a play. It was the perfect scenario for it. And obviously the technology was there to do it. So it was a very fascinating conversation. They always did have this struggle of what was this thing going to be. And and listen, maybe they've landed on something that's going to be uh, going to be just right for everybody. And 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 something that's a little more than just what it ends up on television in terms of the activities that surround it. Yeah, I think it'll drive good numbers this year. Whether or not those are sustainable will remain to be seen. And hopefully we still have a podcast, uh, you know, a year and a quarter from now. And we can talk about the the second annual flag football program. You got, anything, of, you got anything you need to tell me about? Well, our contract's going to be up. So, okay. you know, we're going to be renegotiating now. That's true. But we are booked pretty far out. So, yeah. That's we'll right. Yeah. Notwithstanding the cancellations we've gotten. <laughs> I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter at all. <laughs> But we've got a great guest today. We'll make that out. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, but speaking of speaking of guys who couldn't retire, right? Venus Williams, uh, Serena Williams, talking about the Pro Bowl, played many. Um, we can't let this episode go by without talking about Brett Favre. <laughs> according to uh, according to uh, Ben Stiller's ben Stiller. character hey, in, hey, in Something About Mary. If anyone has not seen Something About Mary, one of the great sports personality cameos of all time is is Brett Favre in that in that movie. Um, it, it's it's a favorite movie of mine. I think it's quite funny, and he is. But Brett seems to get himself in some uh, some issues, and this is this is a bad one. This 
no doubt is has tarnished um, a legacy that had been tarnished before when they first started investigating some of this payment uh, situation that uh, that was going on. So um, you want to you want to take our listeners through if they haven't heard about this? Well, I'm happy to I'm happy to start. You can fill in the gaps. So so let's start with the fact that Brett Favre has a estimated net worth of one hundred million dollars. Right. So he's not clipping coupons. Um, he was trying to raise money for his daughter's volleyball program at um, what's the school? Keep me honest here. Univer- Southern Miss. Southern Mississippi, right? His alma mater. And he got connected to the former governor of Mississippi uh, and other people in the state government. And texts were exchanged back and forth, which apparently were never um, deleted, in which he basically got over $10 million to to create this uh, this new volleyball facility on the campus of Southern Miss. And that money was ostensibly earmarked for welfare programs and child nutrition programs and other things that were, let's be honest, clearly more important to the state of Mississippi, which ranks among the lowest states in the country in terms of poverty rate and people on uh, assistance. So um, short of having a video of himself, you know, taking a bag of money, I, it seems to me this is a pretty, pretty robust case that the, that the authorities have um, for this. Right. Uh, there have already been some of the people on the other side of this uh, sounding like they're cooperating and saying, yes, that they were involved. So I think it's probably a matter of time uh, on this. Yeah. The one text, that didn't go away was apparently one that said to the effect of um, there's no way they're going to find out how this is, you know, where this is coming from. Right. Like um, uh, not, not a good look at all. I, you know, know. I'm sorry. I was going to say having watched enough crime procedurals um, that is what it's known in legal (laughs) circles as consciousness of guilt. Right. He knew what he was doing was wrong. So Brett Favre has continued to be able to capitalize on the fact that he's Brett Favre. Understandably so. Um, he was dropped or his show on Sirius XM has been dropped. I think mm-hmm. there are a couple of people that are in the midst of figuring out what they may do with him. One long-term endorsement deal he has had in place is with a company called Copperfit. Uh, they've also included Jerry Rice, but Brett Favre seems to be one of the main guys. And in fact, they still have a page up that talks about Brett Favre's top five gifts that he's giving around the holidays. And they were all, interestingly, Copperfit gifts. <laughs> Everyone on his on his list got Copperfit. But his daughters, I'm not going to say their name because, you know, I think they're innocent in all of this. He does, he does have two daughters. And... It looks like the one that was the volleyball player was was set to get high performance ankle socks. Now his other yep. daughter had full length leggings, which seemed like a little higher end, maybe nicer nicer idea. And I'm just thinking, is this just a make good? Was this whole thing a make good on that lame gift idea of high performance ankle sock copper fits? <laughs> uh, we know which daughter he likes more. Right. The one who got the full length leggings, because well, from yeah. a purely materials perspective, it costs more. You got to you got to <laughs> think you got to think. 
the other thing I would say is, you know, I don't have a net worth approaching anything near a hundred million dollars. And I'd like to think I do better by my children at Christmas than yeah. Copperfit, which well, by the way, he's not even paying for, right? He's getting, right. he's getting on the arm from, right. From so, his, so let's assume deal. that the, let's assume that the Copperfit ankle socks were the stocking stuff, stuffer, so to speak. I wonder if the stocking itself was made from Copperfit <laughs> material. <laughs> Maybe. That's what pretty we, meta. What we're pretty certain is, is the volleyball facility was not made of Copperfit material, but no. maybe it was. Maybe the maybe the netting was. Who knows what the, they're outfitting. If we hear about a naming rights deal of that facility for Copperfit had been in the works, then uh, then man, who knows? But yeah, this is, listen, these tales are, these tales are sad in a way. Um, you know, he, he keeps himself in the news. He certainly did when he was with your team. Um, here for a bit, but yeah, yeah, he got in a little trouble with some. Uh, how do we put this delicately? Richard pictures, yes, to yeah, a yeah. female journalist covering the team. This is going to be one that's followed. I know a lot of people are saying it's not being covered, as you know, some it, it, other it stories, is, it's it being is, covered, it is being covered. Yes, and I think, is. listen, I, I think in the beginning, there was some. There was something to that. I don't want to compare it to Michael. What they, they the two comparisons I heard were Michael Vick and 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 uh, Colin Kaepernick. I, I don't want to get into the conversation about Michael Vick. What he did was absolutely horrible. But certainly the coverage of of the Colin Kaepernick situation with him kneeling during the national anthem dwarfed whatever coverage there was. Now, you're right. It is being covered now, and I'd like to think that it was uh, responsible journalism trying to find out more about the st story before it was elevated, you know, sort of above the fold, so to speak. And, and it and it certainly has been. I've seen it on a number of mainstream outlets, both TV and digital. So they're they're certainly yeah. covering it. I, I'm not sure it's being covered quite as extensively as Vic was. And that is the one that's more similar, even though the cases are very different. One is, you know, a very clandestine stealing of public money or allegedly stealing of public right. money. Uh, any other is in, you know, an outright cruelty and, and crime issue. Um, both awful and but 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 similar, meaning they're they're crimes. Uh, yeah, or there alleged was, crimes. Yeah, so, yeah, and well, in the case of Michael Vick, Vick it, was it was an actual right. crime, right? And he did, for and which, he did time, and he did for time. which he for which he paid the penalty. Yes, I do, I do think there's a certain um, aspect to the Michael Vick case is that people care about animals, right? People love animals, so that had a certain amount of. Sure. I don't want to call what Favre is doing, a, assuming he's found guilty of victimless crime, because that money, as we said earlier, should have been going to oh. uh, welfare programs and child uh, nutrition programs and things like that. So it, we can't say it was was victimless. Yeah, I think the um, idea of of any sort of misappropriation or stealing of public monies that are that are that are earmarked particularly for uh for underserved needs is never a victimless crime. So right. I So I we'll you know, report as such. As we as we say on this this podcast, you know, stay tuned, you know, watch this space. Want to do a spotlight on sponsorship? Sure. Sure, and I realized that we were supposed to cover the Brett Favre thing on the under spot sponsorship spot. Okay. So I stole your thunder. We hit it. No. All right. Okay. We got Sorry. it. Sorry. I was just going to talk a little about the Copperfit stuff. Yeah. Copperfit's yeah. getting a look. Copperfit might need to step in and sponsor the show. We've given them a lot of coverage today, yeah. haven't we? You think yeah. that's going to happen? No. 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 Uh, although I could use their product, just, you know, creaking like I do when I get out of bed. Yeah. How do we feel 
about these sponsorship deals. What's what's in your spotlight? So uh, we have a new sponsor of the NFL halftime show, Pepsi, who has been a longtime partner of the show um, and went out with a heck of a bang uh, with uh, this past season's Super Bowl. Um, Apple Music is replacing um, Pepsi as the uh, halftime sponsor. And Rihanna is coming back after being a little a bit away for a bit to uh, to headline the show. Yeah, so so fifty million year fifty million dollars per year reported. I'll be very interested to see how Apple Music drives people back to their platform and drives um, you know adoption of their service. Interesting story about Rihanna. When she was a young woman, I believe she was eighteen or nineteen years old, and I was running sponsorships for Singular. We had a program called Singular Sounds Live, where we would do small intimate concerts with up and coming artists. And we would take that content and we would make it available on mobile. We would, if you remember ringtones and ringback tones, um, that was uh, a significant driver of revenue back in the day for Singular. And we did uh, a concert with a young Rihanna. I believe she was 19, 18 or 19 at the final four in Indianapolis at a club that was 21 and over. And so what we did with the club is she had to stay in her RV out back until she came on to perform. She performed her set and then went back to the RV and and did her meet and greets and things like that. Um, So I can honestly say I knew her when. Wow. Wow. And apparently she was asked to do the halftime show in 2020 and turned it down in solidarity with Kaepernick. I did not know that. That's I that's just learned that. I just learned I, that. I wonder if she went back to him and discussed it with him or if she made her statement and that was it. It would be curious. The first name I had heard associated with the halftime show was Taylor Swift. Right. Um, that, but I don't know how serious that was or how close they were to signing her. But I think Rihanna's certainly got a body of work that will be, uh, you know, make for a fun show. Well, listen, it's Apple Music is the sponsor. Um, some people have speculated that she, you know, whether she's going to have other uh, artists perform. I have to think that there will be other artists there. Uh, in, there usually are. Yeah. Um, Guests and so forth. Yeah. So we'll, so we'll see. I mean, I think Apple's going to hit it out of the park and they're going to, um, you know, have a lot surrounding this uh, in terms of promoting the service. Additionally, as we know and have talked about a lot on the show, they Apple is still in contention. Uh, many people say the lead contender in the NFL Sunday ticket package, um, it, which is now we thought this was going to be announced months ago and it hasn't been. And now we hear that the, those discussions are still ongoing. Uh, so we don't know when that's going to be announced. But this certainly seems that it, you know, it could lead to a big Apple presence across uh, across the NFL. Uh, I don't think they'll wait that long to necessarily time, you know, announce it until the Super Bowl, if they do end up getting it. Uh, but it does seem convenient that a lot of big things could be coming uh, around Apple and the NFL. And and hats off to Renee Anderson and her team uh, for uh, for getting a replacement for a sponsor, Pepsi, that has done big things with the halftime show. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a sponsorship salespeople Hall of Fame, but she's a first ballot person, given her body of work at uh, the NFL. And not to mention all the work she did at the AFL that she told us about, including yeah. getting dry cleaning for the commissioner <laughs> at the time. <laughs> she, she really readily told that story. 
Yeah, she did. But, uh-huh. you know, and and uh, mark my words here, you know, I like to make predictions, right? There will be people, there will be a fair number of people who complain about Rihanna's show, right? Either the music stinks or her costume's inappropriate. Um, and what I would say is I had a sign that I put up on my wall next to me when I worked on the brand side, which is you are not the target audience. I don't know why I do it because it's somewhat painful, but I'll go to Twitter just to see what the general reaction is. But that's where people just vent and say stuff. So it's, you know, you'll see a lot of positives on that, but we'll definitely see a lot. Worst show I've ever seen. Never watching the halftime show again yeah. or whatever. All right. And the same people um, will say who are complaining will say, um, you, you know, bring back the black eyed peas. <laughs> right. It's like watching the Oscars or the Grammys or the Emmys, yeah. any of the award shows that get... Um, it's like, this is why I don't watch award shows anymore. Well, obviously you're watching right now. So what are you talking about? Yeah. Can I just, can I just put in a plug for the guys in the production of the NFL? Can you, can you bring back up with people? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That was wholesome family entertainment it, back it when was. we were kids. It was. Well, listen, we've, you know, gone through all of those kind of legendary classic rock acts that are, that are still around, some still touring, some not, but you know, I feel lucky because I've seen a lot. I was at Michael Jackson in Pasadena. I was at Prince in Miami and those were two of the best. Yeah. I saw Springsteen in Tampa. I saw the Black Eyed Peas in Dallas. I'm sorry, North Texas. Yeah. North Texas. One other quick sponsor story. Texas Tech beat Texas this week. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it was basically just proof that maybe Texas wasn't as good as we thought they were at the, you know, at the opening of the season. Um, but the the fans stormed the field and and the conference, the Big Twelve. I don't I don't know if this is, you know, first act of of Brett, um, but they fined him fifty thousand dollars after the fans stormed the field following the game. But a sponsor, Citibank, Citibank. I don't know if that's huh. city. It's not city. It's Citibank stepped up and paying the fine. So that's what sponsors can do. That's, uh, I don't know. That's like, that's like finding a team, a school for a pep rally or for trying to steal another school's mascot. Yeah. It seems um, odd other than, I guess they felt they, you know, it's maybe it's like, a safety than, issue. Maybe rather maybe than losing. Been, right. Rather than losing institutional control of their recruiting and so forth, they lost control of their ability to uh, keep players and coaches and staff safe. Uh, so I understand the reprimand, but the $50,000 fine did seem a little odd. But sponsor swooped in and said, we got it. We got it. And we got it. A break. That didn't really work. Oh, I think it's good. What are you talking about? <laughs> is it time? For, is it time for a break? As we we're, get ready for our guest, we're keeping all of this in. This is too good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's time for a break. We'll be right back. It's time for our guest. So we are really pleased to have our next guest. Uh, Stephen Chris is the vice president of digital commerce and omni shopper marketing for Campbell Snacks. Stephen and I have known each other for nearly twenty-five years as colleagues, as uh, as my client, and most importantly, as, a, as one of my closest friends. He's had stops along the way with agencies like Contemporary Marketing uh, before embarking on a really long and successful career in 
the CPG world with Nabisco, Kraft, Mondelez, Pinnacle Foods, Tops, and most recently Campbell. So, Stephen, welcome to the show. Tim, David, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So um, let's get. Oh, I'm sorry. Now I was just waiting to see if you were going to use the friend terminology as part of the intro as well. So appreciate yes, that. Of course. So let's get started. Um, you like to use the term playing in culture when you talk about your approach to partnerships. What do you mean by playing in culture and, and how do you do it? Listen, I, the world moves incredibly fast and there's an incredible amount. I don't have to preach this to you guys or even to your audience is the amount of clutter that is out there. And if you, from a brand perspective, you need to be a part of culture. You need to be a part of water cooler. You need to be a part of TikTok and you need to be a part of the social trends and, and perspective and the day-to-day -day conversations around the dining room table and what used to be commuting or et cetera. And that's my first lens, Tim, David, through putting our brands on bigger stages and what people are interested in. I, I think where I've over the years have formalized that to often what brands do in the chair that I sit in is interrupting consumers and shoppers in their day-to-day -day journey, in my case, in their path to getting them to go to retail, whether it's a physical brick and mortar store or the digital shelf, to being part of culture of what they're really interested in. And I think that's the magic as opposed to interrupting, which we do, all of us do, and should continue to do. But when you can make a brand like Goldfish, be something that consumers and people around us are interested in as opposed to interrupting. I think that's really what being a part of and playing in the culture means to me. Stephen, let's take a little step back and, and maybe even address this from a, a slightly uh, broader way. When you look at your approach to partnerships at Campbell's Snacks, what you know? What is the what is the overall approach? How are you looking at it? Are you looking at it it's in in its totality as a division, or brand by brand? Uh, and then, what are the things that you're measuring uh, those the success of those partnerships on? Um, yes to all, David. Um, although yes doesn't answer the KPI question specifically. I've been um, blessed with the ability to join Campbell's about eighteen months ago. This is a company of iconic brands that is split into two divisions, a meals and beverage division, which is mostly what people think of when they think of Campbell's and our soup division. And where I spend 100% of my time, which is on our snack side of the business, cookies and crackers under the Pepperidge Farm umbrella, uh, salted chips in, in Kettle and Cape Cod and Snyder's of Hanover pretzels, et cetera. Amazing brands are in our cupboards. We grew up with, and dare I say part of, or should be part of, culture. However, when I joined, and even though this is a 150-year-old company, not a lot of history or muscle, if you will, with these brands in the partnership marketing space, sports, entertainment, culture. And going back to the earlier question from Tim, I think these iconic brands deserve because they are amazing brands that elevate and take your snacking consumption up a notch we believe. So the first is let's build the muscles here at Campbell Snacks for these iconic brands who deserve to be on bigger stages. And that's about maybe not necessarily out of my first year jumping into the deep end of the pool, but creating some partnerships that are strategically aligned with who we are from the values as an organization and what our brands are trying to do and inter 
and connecting and being interesting for our consumers and shoppers, creating that confidence, building that rigor behind KPIs to build the organization understanding and take the organization, which has traditionally not been played in this space, to build the confidence for them to come along the journey. And so we've begun to stick our toe in the water and in some spaces that are quite interesting and we'll build and build and then maybe we'll swing for the fences uh, in short order. Hey, Tim, why are we not munching on some Hanover and some uh, kettle kettle chips right now? I'm I'm really hungry all of a sudden. Every day I go to the I go to the the mailbox and I'm expecting the care package from Steven and I get <laughs> this is what get, we do, Steven. Sorry, I get I get yeah. this, I get this, and then I'll get a call from my friends at uh, the Pac-12 and they go, "Oh, please, thanks, Steven, for the the wonderful <laughs> care package he sent out." And I'm like, "Oh, I hope it's good." Yeah. So, uh, but we have, Tim, we'll have to check your address. Maybe maybe I sent it to the Pac-12. By yeah, maybe time. maybe my wife's getting and, it. And, she needed. In the, in the space of partnership marketing, and if I use those same myself to put my brands out there, I mean, is, is this an opportunity amongst the three of us? Is, do you guys have an official snack partner of, wait, what? Presented by? <laughs> you know, we're Listen, recording. Yeah, we've been, um, you know, we've been approached. We've been approached. <laughs> um, haven't seen anything yet, quite honestly. And, and, and we're waiting also for the right brand, you know, alliance. It's got to be a brand fit. It's got to be a brand fit and the money's got to be right. I'm feeling pretty good about this one right now. But <laughs> true, true. I think the money can be right and the brand fit can be right. It's really going to come down to question of values. <laughs> Value or values? Because we have neither. <laughs> true story, David. When when uh, Stephen was at Tops and, and he asked me to help him with a strategy project, he said, uh, would you be willing to get paid in cards? And he was half joking in the question, right? Because he didn't have a big budget. And I was, uh, I did not answer right away. <laughs> <laughs> but but I got I got paid in, in cash, not. Well, the amount that you talk about trading cards on this, I'm, I'm, I can see why that might've been something you thought about for sure. Yeah. I get it. I get it. it. I mean, that's you. I wouldn't have done that, but. Well, I called the bank and they said they would not accept payment for the mortgage <laughs> in terms of trading cards. So that's sort of seal the deal with uh, that. But, but we digress before, I, before I called my wife to say i i was transitioning from pinnacle foods which was a great year and a half in my career and i was moving over to work for a dear friend at um tops to help elevate their marketing before i called my wife to say hey i got the job and i'm going to take this opportunity and go off road and do something a little bit differently with a privately held company i actually called tim first and said tim <laughs> you ready we're going we're, we're going into the card business <laughs> And so this should be fun. And so we did have a good time for a year. So let's talk about another good time we had in our respective careers. When you were at what was then Kraft, right, which ultimately morphed into Mondelez, uh, you came to us uh, at IMG and said, I want to get involved in a bowl sponsorship, but I want to do it differently than anybody else has ever done it. And in fact, then what, what became of that conversation was the Kraft Fight Hunger Bowl, which I believe, and nobody has proven me wrong, that was the first ever bowl entitlement in support of a charitable endeavor. So take us back to sort of the genesis of that idea and, and how did you measure success in, in that, uh, that bowl sponsorship? Tim, it's a, high, it's, a, it's a highlight in my 25 plus year career 
in the, in the space and um, with you and many other supporters by, by no means. I mean, I had the pleasure of leading the initiative, but we had a lot of people in the village who went along the journey. Craft Hat was a couple of years old as a company that from acquisition after buying Nabisco and had this amazing scale in the center of the food of, of a store and plus on snacking and the CEO and CMO and other senior leadership uh, presented the idea and, uh, to me as and, um, and others in an opportunity to bring craft together as a portfolio to put it on a big stage, much like my conversation on strategy about culture and putting our brands on a big stage. The company was interested in taking the portfolio of brands at craft and do something different about bringing them all together. But it wasn't as simple as just uh, let's go do or do this or do that and create a shopper marketing and add a store and consumer program. The, the, the linchpin to the whole thing was come back to the values in all seriousness of how to how to do good and and the, of the values of the organization of giving back and being one of the largest food companies in the world, how to help those in need. So what started out as a napkin idea, literally, built into one of the biggest integrated marketing campaigns I've ever uh, been associated with and with multiple touch points in and out of the store and shoppers and consumers that had awful amount of arms and legs to it but at the foundation of the entire program was a partnership with feeding america and to help those in need and people in, with food insecurity and and how do we get back to communities from coast to coast in this country and to uh, create awareness and elevate the the challenge and connection of the largest food company with help those in need we came to you at img um, David Aberton, Tom Worcester, yourself, there's probably another, you know, cast of characters there. We had some good times throughout as well. And Justin today, Zambuto. one of those, Justin Zambudo absolutely was in the trenches there um, throughout. With a football-themed scale program, let's go after a ball game. But I don't want to just become um, a, a line underneath the presenting. I need a partner that I can, we can collaborate with and uh, make this as much about the student athletes and the game itself, but create awareness and get back to communities, again, as I said, from coast to coast. And so we thus created the Craft Fight Hunger Ball, worked with the San Francisco Ball Committee, who gave us the ability to rename the ball. And over a three-year campaign in partnership with the ball, many other celebrities, uh, I lost track over the time, it's been a bunch of years, but you know, 50 million meals, I think we gave back to Feeding America to help those in, uh, in this country. And so, from a marketing excellence standpoint, from a partnership marketing standpoint, and then how often in your career do you get the opportunity to really do something good um, and feel good about? That was a highlight um, from start to finish. And Tim, you were there, you know, right? I remember it, right? Getting on the airplane and flying out to Gary Cavelli and and uh, the, the CEO, the executive director of the San Francisco Ball Committee, and he couldn't be more happy that Kraft, a big company of our size, was willing to write a check, and we couldn't have been happier for that. He was you know, a great partner to work with us to rename and do all the things that we could do uh, on the field and then on air um, to bring awareness to the issue. So we had a lot of fun throughout the throughout the time. We, we, we had Joe Montana, we had Aaron Andrews, we had chefs from the Food Network. Yeah, the Neelys. The right. Neelys, Pat and Gina Neely. Pat and Gina Neely. Um, so yeah, a lot of fun and without a doubt, a highlight in my career. Uh, and from a results standpoint, listen, that had results um, across the gamut. Ultimately, when you're in the, in the CPG business for 25 years, the biggest result is, hey, am I getting another one of my products in the shopper basket? Uh, back then, it was the physical basket. Today, it's, it's the digital shelf as well as the brick and mortar store. So that's the, that's the first and foremost KPI. But that program had so many different layers. 
So first it was about revenue and sales, and we, we proved that out and were able to continue it for three years. That thing had legs. Not every campaign can live that long. The other was without a doubt, you know, what was our relationship with Feeding America? Were we, were we raising awareness and impressions to, of the issues in this country for food insecurity? And then third, which is also important to me at Campbell's, am, am I helping the communities that we as a company are engaged in and our employees? You know, it's fun to work for a company where you're doing good things or associated with big properties. It creates swagger, creates confidence, and creates pride. That's another criteria here for me at Campbell's as well as we continue to play this uh, partnership model and strategy out. Stephen, the Craft Fight Hunger Bowl certainly was one of those moments where the industry looks and says, wow, sponsorship really can do something a little different than we thought and do a little more. I'm curious, as you look at your career and something that you were involved in such as that, what other brands do you feel that say inspire you? Do you look around and say, you know, I'm in sync with the way that they're thinking? Uh, brands that that get you going, wow, that's kind of a cool thing to do. Any any that come to mind? I'm a I'm a creature of curiosity, David. So I'm reading constantly and whether and talking to folks constantly. Tim, we probably talk every single day. Um, and so I'm always intrigued, not necessarily from a competitive standpoint, although I have an incredible amount of competitive juices and want to beat the next guy down the block. I, mean, I spent 20 years at Mondelez, loved my career there, but they're a competitor now. And as I have a tremendous amount of respect and passion for that company, but I want to kick their butt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, lots of, lots of organizations. You know, Campbell's, I'm, we, it's about punching above our weight. We're not Coke, we're not Nike, we're not Gatorade. We're not a big auto, not a big bank. Um, so I learn and look and watch from all of them. So I admire a lot of folks. You know, I, the U.S. Open was just in town, and I see the beginnings of what Cadillac was doing there. Clearly, the history of J.P. Morgan and Chase. In my space, it's about drive period events. So how do you show up during those big snack periods, whether it's the big game in Super Bowl in, in February or March Madness? I think Hershey does a wonderful job during March Madness. Um, with their Reese's brand and how they show up on court, um, how they show up on air. Equally important, equally what I'm impressed with is um, Capital One. You know, go to go to a Final Four and see what their presences are in the market, but then it's impossible not to see them on air as well. Um, AT&T, you know, near and dear to Tim's heart, what they do in that Final Four time period. So I, I'm dancing around a little bit that gave that question but you know there's a bunch out there that are that are intriguing to me and i'm again a creature of curiosity and just what can i learn from others um, the competitive juices come in flow when i'm competing against brands in my space but the rest yeah. is about respect and seeing how i can I think it's flattery right when you learn from others and um, those are ones on top of mind and, and maybe timely of what are going on right now no that's great no and really appreciate you even uh putting putting those out uh would concur with uh with your thoughts there I, I alluded to the fact that uh, at the beginning that you, you spent time on the agency side. And I've always believed that spending time on the agency side helps you as a brand marketer and being a brand marketer helps you if you go to the agency side. So tell us a little bit about how you deal with agencies, how you utilize agencies, where agencies really add value to your business. Young into my career, uh, I spent four or five years at Contemporary Marketing, which has changed its name over the years through acquisition. Tim, you were reminding me what it's is it? It's, it's now I am IMG Live. Yeah, so it's gone through some different iterations, but I I remember the people and that agency fondly. Um, 
listen, I, I'm a true believer of my career. You're only as good as those you surround yourself with, and whether that's your team and staff, um, your cross-functional partners in an organization like Campbell, or equally as important, the external ex perspective and expertise of an agency. So those four or five years was an incredible foundation for me in learning. And I'm so glad I got to start out at the agency side. I'm very fortunate to then have made the jump to the client side and have had a long progressive career on this side. Um, but those four or five years created the foundation of uh, people first, service perspective, respect, and appreciation. The, the other is, is listen, we're so in internally focused when you're caught up in the day-to-day -day of a big company that you lose perspective of the external world, and especially with COVID in the past three to five years, three years, I should say, and how much we've spent time internally. Um, but agencies have an external perspective and bring different points of view. It's diversity of thought, diversity of expertise. And so I rely heavily on, and I have no, this is, I don't have turf. I, listen, we're all in it together. The good, that good idea can come from anywhere and have some really, really good agencies that work with me at Campbell. Uh, my, Customer shop and marketing agency, the Mars agency out of Detroit, is critical to my success and important to my day to day. Our media is run by Spark, part of Publicis. And so I believe in, in treating one other as you would want to be treated. And that comes from my days at Contemporary of understanding service and that these guys are in gals are working really, really hard, sometimes thank, thankless. And um, a good idea can come from anywhere. And, I want the I want the village to come along on a journey. We win together, we fail together, and we learn together. And that's why people enjoy working with you. Listen, I I, I have to ask Tim. Let me know that you have a personal passion around pizza. I do too, meaning yeah. I just eat it as much as <laughs> I, I can, but not as often as I'd like. Let's put it that way. So give us a little insight and uh, for our listeners, how you're going about growing that part of your personal brand, and what type of things are you putting out. Uh, in terms of content, it's been an awesome six plus months since I've been been, been doing this. I mean, first off, the conversation starts with the word pizza. So I mean, that's <laughs> not. Can it end there way. too? I, I... <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad way to start a conversation uh, in any setting. Uh, I won't belabor this or bore your audience or you guys with it. It actually started as a a way to connect with my daughter, who just turned eighteen, and the two of us. Um, going to lots of different pizzerias and my niece saying, hey, why are you not capturing this? You know, <laughs> Uncle Stephen, you've been in marketing for a long, long time. Why are you not putting this on social media and Instagram and TikTok and so forth and so on? I said, yeah, why not? And so I looked at my daughter, will we do this together? And she said, I'm in if you're in. So we created this site called All About the Slice, primarily on Instagram right now. And it, and it, it captures our journeys of uh, going to pizzerias and our travels primarily here in the Northeast where we where we live, but whenever I'm on an airplane. And then the backyard uh, um, uh, journey as I started to do cook and make pizzas at home. Uh, no no joke, an 18-year-old daughter pulled exactly what she you think she would do. And one weekend, she said, Daddy, yeah, that's fun, but I'm out. And so <laughs> it's been left on my shoulders. And I got to tell you, I've learned an awful lot. Doing this for 25, 30 years, I honestly can tell you, it's probably the first time my hands are on the keyboard, learning how to create content, learning how to put things on up on social media, sync music to it, learn what works, what doesn't work. I rely on so many other people over 20, 30 years in putting brand content out there. It's the first time that I'm doing it. So, hey, even at this age, and I don't want to age myself, but I'm learning, having fun, talking about pizza. And um, can am I going to retire early based on this? I don't know. Maybe this show, you know, this podcast today will help help 
drive the monetization uh, <laughs> of this thing. We'll see where it goes, but in the in between time, I have a lot of fun and, and with it, and it's been growing. <laughs> so we've been growing followers, we're growing impressions, we're growing video views, and we'll see where it takes us. Well, good for you, and congrats on that. You have a new follower in me across all your channels, so. My board of directors would, yeah, I got to plug it again, all about the slice on Instagram, coming on TikTok soon. All right. So before we let you go, Stephen, we have two questions we like to ask all our guests. The first one. Where'd your career get started? Where'd you start it? I'm incredibly fortunate and very lucky. Um, I was a family member introduced me. I graduated an undergrad degree from, uh, put myself through school at City of Albany, graduated in 1989. And a family member introduced me to somebody in the sports business. Uh, that, well, again, not to belabor this, my, my dad was a, in the legal field and I grew up around USA track and field. He was the number two guy at USA track and field. And um, he actually and some others through networking and that's, you know, you're, the biggest advice I can give folks is curious curiosity and networking. You never know where that's going to take you. And so through some through some luck and some connections, I got to spend four or five years right out of school working for an organization called the New York City Sports Commission. I mean, as young as could be and as innocent as could be and barely knew what I was doing. But here I was uh, working directly at the end of the four and a half, five years. I worked with some great uh, folks and worked for three mayoral administrations. That's my fun fact, Tim and David. I worked. I started wow. Started under Ed Koch, worked all the way through Dinkins, and then the first few months of Rudy Giuliani's uh, mayoral uh, tenure. And in all aspects of sports, um, it primarily business development, primarily bringing sports programming to the city of New York. It was early in the days of cities having a sports commission. Um, and our biggest charge and our goal and mission was to bring the, the Olympic Games to New York. Um, I went to, if, if part of my resume and really really proud moments back then is, is i helped write the 19 the bid for the 1998 goodwill games so if you remember that property is a turner ted turner property created uh coming out of the 1980 uh boycott or of mm -hmm. the olympics and he created a made for television olympic lookalike and so it was a big process i wrote it we successfully won the bid but i had a great that was one of many different things that we did in the sports space had a blast learned a lot Travel a lot at a very young age. Um, and that was my start. Okay. And then you you mentioned your advice, be curious and network. You know, we, um, you'd be surprised in how many people want to help each other, uh, whether it's new or you find yourself looking for a new chapter in your career. And you got to dial down that voice in your head, whether you're young or you're older. And, and the networking is, is incredibly impactful. Uh, this person can introduce me to that person or three other people. And before you know it, you're talking to lots of different folks and your name is getting out there. And so I think networking, Tim, to your question, is incredibly powerful and not to be underestimated. Um, and then be a sponge of curiosity. Uh, I think both have stayed with me to this day. I read as much as I can, as I said before. I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a sponge of culture. Um, and I try to, you know, keep in touch with as many folks as I can on a regular basis to keep my name and network out there. You just never know what good ideas is going to come or good opportunities. And so those are the two biggest pieces of advice I'd probably give to some new folks coming in. Great advice. Some great stories, some great insights to playing in culture. 
Uh, Stephen, we can't thank you enough for being on the on the show. Thank you. Really appreciate it, Stephen. Yeah, thanks, guys. I hope uh, you'll let me know the ratings question after if I drove them down or drove them up, uh, <laughs> or I drove another follow to my pizza site. So we'll see how it plays out. Okay. You got it. Take care. Thanks, guys. Do well. Well, big thanks again to Stephen Chris of Campbell Snacks for joining us today. A lot of great stories and some fun insights there uh, from Stephen. Uh, it is that time in the show where we like to take a quick peek ahead to see what is worthy of our attention. Tim, what do you have your eye on? We talked extensively about Robert Sarver and the situation with the Phoenix Suns. And since we were last on the air, it's been announced that he was going to sell the club now he only owns 35 percent of the organization that owns the phoenix suns and the phoenix mercury but apparently he has a controlling interest and is able to sell it so i'll, I'll be very curious to see um who emerges as a buyer the three names that i've heard so far um jeff bezos robert Iger, the former chairman of disney uh, and larry ellison of oracle um so we'll see We'll see where that goes. You think they have the, the money to do that? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Um, and I know you're looking at this from a, from another angle. Well, it's it's interesting. First of all, you know, this happened very quickly. And we talked about it on the show last week that the thing that the NBA would love the most is that he just the story just basically went away. And this is the way those stories go away. You sell the team now. You know, I think that this is this is the ending that I think everybody probably wanted. Um, other than those that may feel that Robert Sarver shouldn't be able to benefit so much from being able to sell the team, which he will obviously make a lot of money. But that's where this is, looks like it's going to go. But what I think is, and this was what was on my mind to, you know, to take a keep an eye on this week or, or for the next few weeks, is that in, I guess, the shadow of the Robert Sarver situation, the news has popped back up around about NFL owners potentially being a little ready, or maybe some of them being a little more ready to say time for Daniel Snyder to go. Now we've talked about Dan Snyder quite a bit here at uh, wait, what, and have speculated that this was a possibility. And while it'll never come out and say that specifically, um, I think that the comfort that the news could get so bad that you want the owner gone. You want an owner gone. Maybe gave them some comfort in being a little more open, maybe not in saying who they are, but at least teasing out or leaking out that uh, that maybe there would be some interest in in having them, you know, kind of push him to sell. Now, this is in light, there are multiple investigations going on. Congress has an investigation. Obviously, the NFL continues to look while they stay pretty mum on, uh, on anything coming down. Uh, and I'm guessing the thought is that some of the info out could be could be pretty damaging. Um, so it'll be a very interesting one to watch. And that that was actually the thing that uh, that I wanted to keep my eye on here. Never a dull moment. Never a dull moment indeed. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Wait What? Big thanks again to Stephen Chris from Campbell's Snacks and from All About the Slice on Instagram. Check it out for sharing his time and insight with us today. It's always wonderful to hear how brands strategically attack their sponsorship marketing efforts. And Stephen's been around quite a few. 
Importantly, a big thanks to all of you for listening and making this such a fun experience for us every week. So be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platforms, as well as on Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and now on Instagram, so you don't miss anything from the show. And of course, please share if you're inclined. Until next week, I'm DP. He's McGee. We'll talk soon. 